have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to turn to 2 Peter. If you don't have your Bibles, there's a pew Bible, and the text is also printed in our bulletin. The verses we're going to be looking at come from chapter 3. We'll be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, but I will be referencing much of 2 Peter, so I do encourage you, if you do have a Bible, to have 2 Peter chapter 3 open. It's, it's a very short book, and so if you kind of glance over, you may catch some of the things that come up in the sermon, so having the scripture handy may be of use to you this morning. Here now from God's Word, 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God. And by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we bow to you. You are glorious and you are holy. You are powerful and you are merciful. And we ask you now that as we just sang, we ask for the Spirit to breathe upon this word and bring this truth to our sight, that we would be reminded from your scripture, of the truths of your scripture, that we would hold tight to those truths. Please encourage us. Give us the strength to challenge the scoffers of this world. Give us the insight, the knowledge, the steadfastness, the wisdom, and the holiness to do so. And Father, help us to trust and rest in the coming of Christ. Bless me now as I preach. Bless us all as we sit under your word. In Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we went through the order of service this morning, I was tempted to just preach from it. So much of what I wanted to say was here in the service. Um, So I'm encouraged by the preparation that you've had just now as we've gone through the service, as we've sang these hymns, as we've read these texts, as we've confessed our sin together. The Lord has been preparing us already now to sit under his word. So in the book of 2 Peter, it's a fairly short book, and you can 
we really could do a sermon on the, the whole book. We'd be here for a bit longer, but it wouldn't be that much longer because the text that I just read sums up very much of the book. Peter is defending God's word against the lies of sinful men. When Adam gave the summary of GA, he reminded us that this is the 50-year anniversary of this denomination. And this denomination is formed because there was a desire to have integrity for the word of God, to defend the word of God, and for the church to be formed around the word of God. And that's what Peter is fighting for in this text. Peter is defending the word of God. The accusations are that Christ isn't coming back, that the word is not trustworthy. And Peter is defending the word of God against those sorts of accusations. So just as within our former denomination there were accusations that the the Old Testament wasn't even the word of God, here in our text they were saying that Christ's promises aren't true. And Peter says, Hold on a second. Let's, let's take a look at the scripture and let's, let's defend Christ's promises. But if you've ever been waiting for a long time for someone to return, you maybe can feel the anxiety of that age. It may not seem very long to us, but it had been a few decades since Christ's ascension. Everyone was expecting Christ to come back soon. And so each, each year that goes by, they're thinking, well, is he really coming back? If you've ever been in a waiting room or on hold, maybe you thought, I've been forgotten. They're they're not coming back for me. So that's a small scale um, of what what they may have been feeling. But there were also people that were using it as an opportunity, right? That's how Peter lays it out for us. This was deliberate. They wanted to live as they pleased, and it suited them for Christ to not come back. And so really, it was the sinful desires that, that Peter's addressing. I have a story to maybe help us illustrate also this, and this is kind of a silly illustration. I hesitated to use it, but I think it actually will be helpful. In 1962, a storm damaged a 20-foot-tall Texaco Big Friend statue. Some of you may know where this is going if you live in the South Hillsboro area. But a storm damaged a 20-foot-tall fiberglass Texaco Big friend statue. These were the muffler men that stood outside of gas stations. They were very big statues. Well, a storm pushed one over. It got damaged. And so they brought it to a skilled fiberglass worker at Harvey Marine on TV Highway. And the statue was repaired, and it sat there for a while. The owner never came back. And so the, the man who repaired it, he started to assume this owner's never coming back for this thing. And so there are stories that he actually took it out on Lake Oswego as a boat and rode around on top of the fiberglass statue, uh, kind of making a mockery of the thing because he, he had it, was laying around, taking up space in his shop. And then eventually, so he, get, he got it in 1962. Twelve years later, in 1974, he cuts the head off the statue and puts a fiberglass rabbit head on top of the statue and uses it as a mascot outside of his business. It's still there today. If you drive down, if you were to drive to Forest Grove from here, uh, going down TV Highway, going that, that direction, you'll pass this thing. It uh, it exists. It is a very strange wonder of our area, but it <laughs> but it comes from this man realizing the owner's not coming back for this. 
I can do whatever I want with this thing. So why do I tell you that story? Since the owner was never coming back, Mr. Harvey felt the liberty to cut the head off of this thing. If he thought the owner was coming back, he would not have done that. This is indicative of what he was anticipating, right? I'm not saying that he is like the people in our text, by the way. This is a different situation. But the, the illustration still holds up. What you are anticipating is going to dictate how you are behaving. In our text this morning, we wrestle with the same temptation to tr- treat Christ in the same way, as if he's not coming back, as if what we do is up to us, and it, as if his accountability doesn't matter. It's been 2,000 years. Are we still living like he's coming back? 2,000 years is a long time. The text addresses that, and we'll get to that in a moment, but 2,000 years is a long time. Uh, I heard a story this past week of a little boy who didn't want to go to church, and his, his mother said, well, we go to church because Jesus died for us. And his response to that was, well, that was a really long time ago. 2,000 years is a long time. That's a true story, by the way. I did not make that up. Living in anticipation of the Lord's return, we respond to the Lord's patience with repentance. That's the main point that I want us to take away this morning. As we are anticipating the Lord's return, we respond to that as the Lord's patience, and we respond with repentance. In Paul's day, the men of Athens always wanted something new, right? And that's how he addresses it in Acts 17. They wanted new philosophies, new teachings, new things. But in our text this morning, Peter says, I'm telling you something old. I'm telling you something you've heard from me, you've heard from the apostles, and you've heard from the prophets. What we need is not a new word, but we need to remember the old word. So the first point that we're going to look at this morning is welcoming the reminders of Scripture. We need to be receptive to these things. We hear them so often, we can be numb to these things. We can forget the very basics of the faith. But those basics of the faith are what anchor us. They're they're the roots of our faith. And so we need to welcome these reminders. But there's a real danger of abandoning the truth. Again, the fact that the PCA exists reminds us that there is a danger of abandoning the truth. So Peter in chapter 1 said in verse 12, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. And he had gone through a list of virtues and character traits that, that should be here in the believer. And he says, I intend to always remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are already established in the truth, he wants to remind them of things he knows that they know, things that they're already doing. Yet he's reminding them of those things. And why does he do that? He says it in verse 13. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. As long as I live, I'm going to keep reminding you of these fundamental truths of the faith. We have a tendency to think, I've heard this before, and we shut off to to the information. But what he's saying is, these things are of utmost importance. So I will keep saying the same things to you over and over again. And it doesn't mean that I don't believe you've heard me. I do believe you've heard me. You're doing it. Keep it up. It's an encouragement. So 
in chapter 3, the first two verses that we read a minute ago. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring, you, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. I'm telling you what you've already known. You've heard it from me. You've heard it from the apostles. You've heard it from the prophets. And I'm going to keep telling you as long as I live because you need to remember the cleansing that you have received from Christ. Why would you return to sin as these false teachers are doing? You've been saved from that. Why return to it? As the dog returns to its vomit, so the fool to his folly. He brought up that verse in chapter 2 because it is foolishness for us to go back to sin that we've been saved from. Yet it is so easy for us to do it. So we constantly need that reminder. And you may currently be doing very well. You still need this word. You may not be doing very well. You also need this word. We all need this word. We all need reminders. Because we are prone to stubborn and hard hearts. We become numb. We become blind to the truth. And what we are being reminded of in the text is that we need to welcome these reminders. We need humble hearts that welcome basic, fundamental truths that we teach to small children. We need humble hearts to receive those too. These truths are stabilizing. They are that constant reminder that we need. And there's a constant reminder in chapter 3, chapter 2, all the way back to chapter 1 of Second Peter to be steady in the waves of all this temptation to cave to false teaching. Be steady. Avoid drift. Keep coming back to the gospel. Peter makes a contrast between the lawless, lawless twisting of Scripture versus the holy stability of faithfulness to the Scripture. So by way of reminder, Peter is anchoring us in the truth. And he anchors us so that we can challenge the scoffers of our age. This is exactly what he does here. In verses 3 through 7, we see him challenging these accusations of the scoffer. There were people in the church challenging the authority of Scripture, willfully ignoring Scripture so that they could live as they please. If you've ever been in a debate with someone, maybe you willfully ignored some facts to get your point across so that maybe you can win the debate. You willfully suppress other information and hope it doesn't come up in the debate. That's essentially what they're doing. These are lawless people that are blaspheming the Lord. Last week, we were in Matthew. As we've gone through the series of Matthew, the last section we were at dealt with the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares. That's the reality of hypocrites in the church. Hypocrites are not always obvious in the church. Sometimes there's the fake believer and the real believer are hard to tell apart. Here, the false believer is pretty easy to spot because they are attacking the scripture. These are destructive heresies because they're saying that you can't trust the apostles, you can't trust the scriptures, you can't trust Christ. Those are very destructive heresies. So in verse 4, they are questioning the promises. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. 
so they are trying to deny the credibility of the claim that Christ is coming back. They're saying, look, look around you. There's sinners everywhere. Where's the judgment? There's no proof that Christ is coming back. It's been like this forever. And, of course, Peter follows up and says, have you, have you read Scripture? And uh, if, if we were to have read through the entire book of Second Peter before we got to this text, we would have already seen Peter bring up Sodom and Gomorrah. He's already brought up fallen angels. He's brought up the flood already, and he's about to bring up the flood again. And so when he brings up the flood, this is not the first time it comes up in the book. And the context is the Lord knows how to judge, and the Lord also knows how to have mercy. He brings up Lot as an example of that mercy of the Lord. And um, you can also think of Noah's family who were in the ark. They, they experienced mercy. And we experience mercy now. The rainbow was the promise of the Lord not to flood the earth again on account of sin. If it wasn't for that promise, the earth would have been flooded again very soon after that first flood. But instead, they mock this promise by saying, where, where is his judgment? They are mocking the grace of the Lord in their accusation. And that is something that Peter doesn't miss. He, he brings this up in the text. Verse 5, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by these means the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. The creator is not absent from his creation. And our doctrine should impact our behavior. Our expectation of the Lord's return should impact our behavior. But it's often the case, as it is here, that our behavior impacts our doctrine. Their behavior is dictating what they want to believe. Are we living as if the, Christ, the promises of Christ aren't true? Are we living as if we aren't accountable? Practically speaking, this is a subtle thing. We may not be claiming verbally as they were so blatant in this passage, but practically speaking, do we live as people who believe that the Lord could come back at any moment? That's something to think about. Have we adopted this same doctrine that seems so wicked in the text, but subtly has it crept in? And do we practically speak, practically live as these people speak with their mouths? Do we deliberately overlook the words of Scripture and deceive ourselves to think that holy living doesn't really matter? It matters to the Lord, and it matters to his transformed people. He writes his word on our hearts. He's created us to be a holy people, zealous for good works. is the will of the Lord, and he implants that will in us. He transforms us into his likeness. And the scripture is full of that promise, not only that he's coming back, but before he comes back, he's going to be at work in his people doing these things. The Lord's promise to Noah spared the world from another flood. As Peter has already pointed that out, the Lord knows how to punish the wicked and rescue his own. 
And that fire of Sodom and Gomorrah in the past provides a paradigm for the fire that's coming in the future. Do not mistake the patience of the Lord for his absence. So we welcome these reminders of Scripture of the basics of the faith. And we need to have the courage to challenge the scoffer. Let's actually look at the word. What does the word say? Let's look at all of the word. That's what Peter's doing. And we expect Christ's return. How should we view the fact that it's been 2,000 years since Christ was on this earth? Well, Peter tells us that his perspective is superior to ours. Maybe our understanding of how long 2,000 years ago is is a little bit short-sighted. Let's look at verse 8. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. This is a reference to Psalm 90, but it, it also inverts Psalm 90 a little bit as well. It, but it uses the wording from Psalm 90. That with the Lord, a thousand years is, if one, is it like one day, and a, one day is a thousand years. We grow in wisdom and knowledge as people. Our perspectives change all the time. But it's not like that with the Lord. We watch things change in our bodies. We watch things change around us. And our perspectives grow as we go through our lives. Do you remember as a child, and maybe the children in the room can relate to this, you ask your parents, when are we going to do this thing or that thing? And they say, one minute, just one minute. And you're, you're counting the time, if you, if you have a watch, you're looking at it, and you're waiting for that minute to pass. And, and often, they really mean five minutes or ten minutes, but even that one minute feels like a very long time. And the older you get, time seems to go by quicker. And you look up, and you say, it's June? It's, we're over halfway through June? When did that happen? Time starts going by quicker. Your perspective is slowly changing as you live on this earth. We're all temporal beings. We all have only ever known time. The Lord created everything and exists outside of everything we know. And so for us to question the Lord's timing, it makes no sense. We are just a blink on the the grand scheme of eternity. And the bigger you realize God is, the smaller everything else gets. So with the Lord... A thousand years, that's, that's a day. It's very different. But we have a hard time with that. And it makes sense. We have a limited understanding. So with the Lord, his perspective is much bigger than us. So that's the first thing we have to realize. But also that not only is his delay in his timing his own, but his delay in his timing is gracious. This is a delay that is meant to lead us to repentance. Let's look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That is the patience of his promise. His timing, he's not late. He's giving you an opportunity. He's giving us an opportunity to do evangelism. He's giving us an opportunity to repent. 
O. Palmer Robertson writes in Christ of the Covenants. This is what he writes about the Lord's promise to Noah that he would not flood the earth again. This provides the foundation for the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. I'll read that one more time to make sure we got it. Palmer Robertson in Christ of the Covenants. The promise to Noah provides the foundation for the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. This is the Lord's will for this time, that the gospel be proclaimed to the world. That grace that the Lord is extending is the avenue that the scoffers are taking to attack the Lord. They're attacking his grace. I want us to see that this morning. But not only is his delay gracious, his return is sudden, and that's also in the text. So don't mistake this grace as just an open-ended invitation. Eventually, this cuts off. His return is sudden. We're told he comes back like a thief in the night, quickly like that. That is an urgent call to repentance. That's what that is. Think about the, the word that Jonah was given to Nineveh. He says, 40 days and Nineveh will be no more. Did Nineveh wait 38, 39 days to repent? Or did they repent immediately when they received the news? They were given a time frame and they still repented immediately at the news. That should be our reaction. But there's a tendency, because it has been 2,000 years since the Lord came, for us to think, I'll wait until my later years to take that seriously. And anybody who's gotten older realizes that you constantly will feel that way. Like, I I can put this off until the next year and the next year. That is not the call we see here. It is an urgent call. He's coming like a thief. Be ready. Not only is his return sudden, his judgment is thorough. Let's read verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come back like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There's a picture there of a purifying fire. And as, as it burns everything, what you see left behind, that's the, the results of burning everything away and exposing all of the deeds that are on this earth. So there's, a, there's this consuming picture there of everything. It's a thorough judgment. Nothing will be hidden from the Lord. There is no hiding from the judgment of the Lord except for in Christ. He is the ark, by the way. It, we had the flood illustration earlier. Noah's family is spared from the judgment that's on the earth. The only hiding from this thing is in Christ. He is your ark of protection from this judgment. But we're not just given a picture of fire. We're also given a picture of a restoration that is coming. Look at verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Restoration is coming. He is making all things new. This is a long-awaited promise in the scriptures. What you see Peter doing in this passage is he's walking through the scriptures and he's showing you the, the Lord that created the earth. 
has also judged the earth and has a plan in place now to judge the earth again and recreate that earth. He's walking you through the entirety of scriptures. So what does he do to the scoffers' claims? He goes right to scripture and says, well, let's walk from beginning to end and see what it is that the Lord is doing. He goes right at the scoffers with the, with the scriptures. His restoration is coming. The future is righteous. It says, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it is a righteous future, but we're also called to righteous living in the present. In verse 11, he says, what sort of people ought you you be now? What sort of people with lives of holiness and godliness? And in chapter 1 and at the end of chapter 3, he's telling them to make every effort to grow in grace. Put out effort. Be steadfast in your faith. Desire his return. Hasten the day as we wait for this new creation. But do we long to be surrounded by righteousness? Do we long for the return of the Lord? Or do we want him to delay so that we can enjoy life now? Which one, which one do we love? Where is our affection? Do we love righteousness now? That's what we've been created for, to love it even now. And instead of living life as those who deny his coming, we're to be people that trust in his promise, being wise to what is good and innocent to what is evil, because we trust that these evil days will soon end. And so we are a people called to be on our guard and growing, being diligent and stable, people who bear the image of Christ and glorify his name on this earth, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse 18. I'll jump ahead. This is a little bit past what we read in the text. This is Second Peter chapter 3, verses, verse 18. This is how the, the book ends. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Both now into the day of eternity. On October 28, 1949, Jim Elliott wrote a famous quote in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Very often quoted journal entry. What he wrote right before that applies so well to our text. Listen to these words. One of the great blessings of heaven is the appreciation of heaven on earth. And then he follows with, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So one of the great blessings of heaven is how that impacts our life. As we appreciate heaven in our lives now, in the here and now. Our sinful hearts long for our teaching that will conform to our desires but we're called to live anticipating Christ's return. Very much unlike the story of Harvey Marine with the rabbit. Very much unlike that. That owner never came back. That's just a man. But our God has made us a promise. And Christ is coming. And his return will be sudden. 
And it will be swift and thorough when he comes back to judge the earth. And so we have the constant reminders in scriptures of this. We have constant reminders that he is coming back. We have constant reminders to live as a holy people, honoring our Lord in, in the lives that we have now. Don't become numb to the basics of the faith, but be eager to, to listen, even to those very familiar words. And be bold and challenge the scoffers. Let Scripture and Scripture alone interpret Scripture, not your heart, but let Scripture interpret Scripture. See through your own desires for lawlessness and expect Christ's return. He's coming back. There's no hidden deeds or motives that will remain. So respond to His grace. Now is the opportunity to repent. Now is the opportunity to love your neighbor. Now is the opportunity for evangelism. That is the age we live in now. We do not know when he will return, but we do know that he will return. That is the promise. We're not given a date and time, but we are given a certainty that he will return. Does the thought of the day of the Lord make you fearful? That's the last thing I want to end on. Uh, I think it often does. The thought of the day of the Lord makes us fearful. It's, um, it's a frightening thing. It's a frightening picture of judgment and wrath in the scripture. If you find this unsettling, I encourage you this morning to place your faith in Jesus. If you're a believer, place your faith in Jesus. If you're not a believer, you need to place your faith in Jesus. Jesus is the one who is the wrath-bearing sacrifice. He is the one with the life-giving resurrection. He's the one who unites us to himself and gives us his benefits. It is a fearful thing, the day of the Lord. Don't underestimate the gift of Christ. His blood is sufficient. He is the Lord and Savior. And he is the one who's returning. So trust in him. Pray for his wisdom and his sanctification as you live in this life, that he will find us faithful when he returns. Would you pray with me now? Father, we thank you that you are a holy and a mighty God. We thank you that you are a God who will not be mocked, that you will fulfill every promise. We thank you for your word that gives us clarity on your promises. And we thank you for your patience that leads us to repentance. Father, give us humble hearts that hear your words Give us hearts that love what you love and hate what you hate. Give us the boldness to stand up for your word in a world that hates it, in a world that is set against it. And help us to trust, not shaping our perspectives from our tiny vantage points, but instead being shaped by your word. In Christ we pray. Amen.